Okay. And we're going to start to study now. In Exodus 31, this is uh, the last chapter of Moses on the mountain. You know, when Moses went up to the mountain, it was actually in uh, chapter 25, verse uh, 18. says, So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. He was been up there for a very, very long time, just at peace with the Lord, one with the Lord. Very, very, very close intimacy with the Lord, where God is teaching him and showing him, outlining these blueprints on what he wants for his people, Israel. And so in continuation, says in chapter 31, verse 1, says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, Bezalel, which translates as in in the protection of God or in the shadow of God. Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Now, if you remember that we've heard of this name before, Hur, H-U-R, we've heard of that name before. In Exodus 24, uh, before Moses goes, uh, Moses goes up to the mountain with Joshua, uh, he tells the people, hey, you guys have Aaron and her. You know, if you, any problems, any issues arise, talk with these guys. You know, very, very godly men. And then at the same time, we also see in Exodus 17, there was a battle that was happening. There was a battle where Joshua was the one who was fighting against these forces that were coming against him. And he started to lose the battles. He started to lose in the fight, except Moses and Aaron and Hur. They were the three guys. They were up on this hillside, on this mountain. And every time Moses would have his hands up, uh, 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 Joshua and Israel, they would start to win the fight. And then his arms got tired and he would start to lower his hands because, I mean, you have your hands up like this for 10 seconds. It's no big deal. You have your hands up like this for five hours. You feel it. And so Moses, he started to have his hands where he couldn't do it anymore. And every time his hands went down, the, the uh, Israel would start to lose the battle. And so her and Aaron came alongside and held his hands up like this. And when his hands were up, they would win the fight. I think that's so beautiful because it paints a picture for us as believers in, number one, relying on God's power, His strength, His wisdom. But then at the same time, it shows a very tangible hand of God where you start to see battles becoming one victory in battles that we face. And this is such as the case that what happened with her, a very, very godly man and of the tribe of Judah. And notice what he says here in verse three. And I have filled him with the spirit of God. It's very special when you see in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit has is filled a person. It's very, very special in the Old Testament. It's rare in the Old Testament. Very common in the New Testament. Because Jesus Christ, you know, when he told uh, 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 um, uh, Mary, 
He tells Mary, you know, don't hold on to me. Don't cling to me, Mary, because I haven't yet ascended to my father. And then you read the promises that the Lord has for his people. He says, when I get up to my father, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the helper. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the church. But in the Old Testament, when you see the Holy Spirit filling a person, it's very, very special. It does, it's not a, a common thing, not a common event. But such is the case with these people, with Bezalel. In verse 3 says, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. It's God's doing. God is the one who's doing it. Look at what he says here in verse 4. This is like the... You know, he, how he says he's filled with the Spirit of God, Bezalel, he's filled with the Spirit of God. But then he identifies what the Lord wants him to do. To design artistic works in verse 4. To work in gold, in silver, in bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood. And to work in all manner of workmanship. And indeed, and I indeed, I have appointed with him. Aholiab. Aholiab translates in the Hebrew as a, a tent of the father. Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. And I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. This is a very, very special moment where Moses is having this oneness with the Lord. Because... You have to understand that it's God's doing. It's God's handiwork and not Moses. In chapter 25, chapter 26, 27, 28, 29, and 30, the Lord is giving Moses blueprints, designing. This is what you're going to do. You got to do it like this. You know, collect all these things. Do it like exactly like this, giving him the blueprints. For 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord is teaching Moses what he wants him to do. The whole time, this isn't written in the Bible, but I just wonder. I wonder if in the mind of Moses, if he had a thought in the back of his mind, like, how is this going to happen? How am I going to do all these things? This is going to take forever to build these things. It's going to take forever and I don't mean to inject carnal thought into the spirit of the Lord, but it's just something I think about. I wonder what was going on in his mind. And I think it's so it's kind of humorous, too, because it's the last chapter before Moses, before the Lord tells Moses to go down to the people again. It's the last chapter. He didn't tell them at the very beginning, you know, oh, you know, the, these people of the tribe of Dan, I'm going to put my spirit in them. He didn't tell, he didn't say that to Moses. He didn't say that to Moses at all. But it's kind of interesting too because, you know, it's, if you remember in our study in chapter 25, the Lord was the one who told Moses Hey, Moses, people are going to give. People are going to give. Those who, who does, I'll read it exactly. He says in chapter 25, verse 2, from everyone who gives it, 
willingly with this heart you shall take my offering. You have these willful, willful givers. It's not Moses coming down to the people and all of a sudden says, hey, you guys have to do this. You guys have to do this. The Lord specifically said the people who willingly give. I think it's very important too because Paul mentions the same thing, to be a cheerful giver unto the Lord. Imagine the mind of Moses when the Lord is giving him these blueprints like, man, how am I going to do this? I'll do it, Lord, but it's going to take forever. You know, I'm, I'm going to do it in obedience. But I'm not a woodworker. I don't know how to do these things. But yes, you know, you're showing me these things. You're, you're teaching me these things. You're showing me the blueprints and I'll do it. But I'm not skilled. I don't have that skill. But yet the Lord is teaching Moses now, hey, I'm doing this. It's not you, Moses. It's not you, Moses. I think it's very, very beautiful because a lot of times in the life of a believer, in your life, you're going to have situations where the Lord is going to speak to you from his word. Or he's going to confirm his leading from his word, through his word. And in your mind, you might say, how, Lord? How in the world is this going to be accomplished? I don't get it, Lord. I don't understand. And you can reflect on passages such as this. Because the Lord was the one who said, I'm going to fill him with my spirit. Bezalel, I'm going to fill him with my spirit. In verse 6, he says, I have also appointed with him Aholiab. It's the Lord who's doing it. You know, a little side note too. This Ahisamach and Yuri. These two guys, Ahisamach and Yuri, are the parents of Aholiab and Bezalel. It's not really captured in scripture, the lives of these men, the parents. But what's so incredibly beautiful is that their efforts as parents are foundational to the future work that God is doing through these kids. Remember, the Lord specifically mentions here in verse 2, he says, Bezalel, the son of Uri. And then in verse 6 says, Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach. Then you see, wow, these beautiful, beautiful men, Ahisamach and Uri, what they raised in the next generation of righteousness. And their efforts were foundational to this future work of God. Godly parenting. Teaching. You know, a lot of times you start to see... You know, it, it's almost like, you know, the, the, the sacrifice that a parent makes into his or her kids. You know, sometimes you might think, you know, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? Maybe say, for example, the Lord calls you to, you know, whatever ministry. And everybody says, you're the dumbest person on the planet. You're so stupid. Look at, you know, it's not like this thing over here and look at you. And all you're doing is being obedient to the Lord. And then you have a child and then the child sees that in you. 
and sees your faith and your stand unto the Lord. And what is it that your behavior in obedience to the Lord, what is it that's being instilled in that little life that grows up and sees And not just sees like, you know, hypocrisy that grows up and sees, wow, this is a man after God's own heart. Wow, this is a woman after God's own heart. And say, for example, if the Lord called you in whatever ministry and in the with carnal eyes, everybody, the world says that's so stupid. But what about the next generation of righteousness? That has that firm foundation and a future work of God. You know, a lot of people don't think in those terms. A lot of people like to think about me, myself, and I right here, right now. They don't like to think about the next generation of righteousness when I'm dead. The next generation. That's what I think is so beautiful about these men. Bezalel, you know, is beautiful in verse 2. But then what about Yuri and her also? The Lord gives us a picture of the grandfather, Grandpa Her, in helping, you know, in holding one of the arms of Moses. And it's like, whoa, this is so beautiful. An Old Testament example of raising the next generation of righteousness and raising them in righteousness for the work of the Lord. It's wild. Because you start to see it's God's doing. It's his handiwork. Look at what he says here in verse 7. The tabernacle of testimony of the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furniture of the tabernacle. These are things that were covered in, you know, chapter 25, 26, 27, 28, 29 and 30. These are things that were already covered. What the Lord was telling him, hey, I want you to make it like this. These are the dimensions. This is how you should cover it with bronze. This is how you should put the gate on it. You should do it exactly like this with these fabrics. Do it exactly like this. And the Lord is telling in verse 8, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the laver and its base, the garments of ministry, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest and the garments of his sons to minister as priest and the anointing oil and sweet incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. They shall do. You know, if I can be frank and quite honest, I think this is hilarious. Not hilarious being disrespectful to the Lord, but hilarious in terms of it's the last chapter before the Lord says, hey, go back down to the people. Remember, 40 days and 40 nights. So maybe this was on the 39th day. Or maybe this was, you know, like the morning of the 40th day. I don't know. But it's at the tail end. So day one, day two, day 10, day 20, 
the Lord is just pouring into Moses. This is what I want you to do. I want you to do this, do this, do this. And at the very last, maybe it was the 35th day, 39th day or the morning of the 40th day. The Lord says, oh, by the way, I'm going to provide the people, the workers, and they're going to have my spirit. They're going to have wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship, very skilled people. It's the Lord that is doing the work. It's the Lord. The tabernacle, the ark, the mercy seat, the furniture, the table, the utensils, the lampstand, the utensils for the lampstand, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, the laver and its base, the garments of ministry, the holy garments, the other garments, the anointing oil, the incense, all these things. Oh, by the way, Moses, I'm going to provide the people to do it. I'm going to provide the people. You know what's so incredibly awesome? There's zero manipulation. No manipulation. When you hear the word manipulation, think of the first three letters, M-A-N. It's man's doing. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, if you want to be a part of God's doing, you'll do this. Pastors. Pastors that you know. People on TV. If you want to be a part of what God is doing, you'll tithe. If you want to be a part of what God is doing, you'll give an extra hundred bucks. If you want to be a part of what God is doing, you'll show up to here. You know what I say? If you want to be a part of what God is doing, present your heart to him, present your body to him, present yourself to him. As a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. God is doing it. And you know what's so sad when you hear people say, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, you'll give an extra hundred bucks. And so people reach in their pocket, they give a hundred bucks. It's like, man, I want to be a part of what God is doing. And to me, it makes me so sad for the people. And then it makes me mad at the pastor. Because the pastor, whoever is saying these things, is exploiting the people. Biblical illiteracy. How in the world can somebody in ministry, you know, get away with saying such things? If you want to be a part of what God is doing, you'll fill in the blank, whatever it is. You'll do this. That's manipulation, manipulation. It's man's doing. But what happens? What does it look like when the Lord is doing the work? You know, Moses doesn't come down the mountain and say, okay, you know, you're a strong guy. So I'm going to need you to carry this wood, you know, or take somebody who's a seamstress. And say, okay, you know, you're a skilled seamstress, so I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to do this. The Lord is saying, Moses, I'm going to do it. In one regard, it's comforting because it's hands off. If the Lord calls you into ministry, whatever it is, it's hands off. 
because it's the Lord that's doing the work. Remember what he says here in verse 11? He says, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do it. They shall do. This is wild. Kind of refreshing too from, from Moses' perspective because he's like, I don't know. I, I don't know what was going on in Moses' mind. But I have to wonder if he's getting 35 days of blueprints. I mean, imagine the blueprints that you can get in like an hour or two hours, you know, reading blueprints. Okay, these is how I do this. This is the measurements of this. I mean, you could get a lot of information in the span of five hours, but for 35 days in your intimacy with the Lord. And then all of a sudden the Lord says, I'm doing it. It's my spirit. I have filled these people with my spirit in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. And notice here, you know, he's not alone. Verse 6, I have appointed with him a holy ab. Verse 6 also says, I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans. I mean, it's like, whoa, Lord, this is like, I mean, have you ever been in a situation where, you know, the Lord has called you wherever into whatever? It doesn't have to have the quote unquote title of ministry. Maybe the Lord has called you positionally in one place or positionally in another place. I don't know. But then in the course of time, you know, you're like maybe in your mind wondering, Lord, how is this going to happen? I don't understand. And then somebody comes alongside you and says, hey, you know what? The Lord put something on my heart. You know, he wants me to do this. And then all of a sudden the ministries align. That's God's handiwork. You don't have to know how. All you have to know is who. Capital W. And he has a name. Jesus Christ. That's it. Remember, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. By my spirit. That's a lot of power. That's a lot of power. And the Lord is the one who says, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. He says this in verse 12. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak also to the children of Israel saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you, or translates as that the Lord who consecrates you, who consecrates you. And I think it's very, very important here because you see it's present tense as a process. As a process. Present tense. It's so cool because that's what the Lord does inside of you and inside of me to all who believe and all who obey. It's a process. It's not like, you know, the Lord sanctified me. The Lord sanctified you. I mean, surely he has. 
But what about the sanctification that is happening right now as we speak from his word? As you take his word and consume it all. Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You say, well, I already have faith. Well, faith can grow. Faith can grow. A measure of faith is given to every man. And faith can grow. The closer and closer and closer you get to the Lord, the more intimacy you have with the Lordship of Jesus Christ, something happens with faith. It grows because He has shown Himself faithful unto you. That's a love relationship, not religion. That's a love relationship. And... I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form am I advocating the law. But the Sabbath, it's not just like saying, hey, I'm going to take a day off and go watch movies. Or, hey, I'm going to take a day off and go hang out with my friends. You know, we're going to do whatever. We're going to live like crazy. But in a moment of rest to acknowledge the Lord and His goodness. Remember, He says... About the Sabbath, it is a sign. It is a sign that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you or who consecrates you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. You see, it's like an acknowledgement of the Lord in this day of rest. Understand, like, you kind of not just take inventory of self. But also take inventory of self in light of the God's work in your life. And to acknowledge His goodness. Maybe just for the past week. Wow, Lord, this week you were so good. You were so good. You proved yourself faithful yet again. Yet again. How could I have doubted? You know, I was dreading Monday. I was dreading Thursday. I was dreading Friday so much. And in your day of rest on the Sabbath, it's like, wow, Lord, you have shown yourself faithful. Yet again, you have shown yourself faithful. And you know what happens in moments like that? Your faith grows. Your faith grows. To where the next time the Lord pricks at your heart and says, hey, I want, you know, taps at your heart. I have a special mission for you. It's like, okay. Lord, I'm not even going to doubt. I remember when I doubted 20 years ago. I remember when I doubted five years ago. But not anymore because this whole time through it all, you have shown yourself faithful. Very special, these moments of rest that we have in the Lord. And I'm not advocating, hey, you know, the Sabbath, the day of rest, you have to do that. I'm not advocating that because we're going to study a little bit more about it. But to acknowledge the Lord and his hand in your life. He says in verse 14, everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. Or he says, you shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Remember, that's the law. This is the law that he's saying. I'm not advocating the law. This is what he says about it in verse 15. Work shall be done for six days. But the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall be put to death. 
Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. Remember, it's holy. A day of rest, it's holy unto the Lord. It's a sign of sanctification. Now, I'm going to speak contractually now. Contractually speaking... There's only one person. There is only one who can ratify this contract, so to speak. And I'm not bringing the Holy Bible to a lower level. I'm just speaking in um, legally a little bit. There's only one person who can ratify. Turn with me to Luke 13 really quick. Luke 13. In Luke 13, verse 10, Dr. Luke is writing, same writer of the book of Acts. But this is what he says in verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues. He here is Jesus Christ our Lord. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Very interesting. We just read about the Sabbath in the law. But the fulfiller of the law teaches a little bit more. He says in verse 11. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. So she had like a hunched back. She was bent over and, in, in, and could in no way raise herself up or it translates as to stand straight. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But now here comes opposition in the legalistic people. The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd. Now, remember, this is the ruler of the synagogue now. And now all of a sudden what he does is he starts to invoke the law. Remember, to the fulfillment of the law. He's speaking to Jesus Christ. And this is what man says in accordance with the law. There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Remember, only one can ratify or confirm. Contractually speaking, only one. The Lord then answered him and said, hypocrite, exclamation point. Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath, loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it. So ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound. Think of it for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. 
you know how I say only one can ratify or confirm contractually speaking? Only one can also illuminate the spirit of the law from the letter of the law. Only one. Only one. And I'm speaking about our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, he came. He didn't say, hey, I, I didn't come to do away with the law. He says, I came to fulfill the law. That's what so, it breaks my heart about people that go back to the, the Hebrew roots movement. Because it's like you have the fulfillment of the law in, G, in Jesus Christ. But to all of a sudden, the fulfillment of the law to reject him and go back to the law, it's supposed to be the other way around. Rejection of the law and go to Jesus Christ and abide in him the fulfillment of the law. Only one can illuminate the spirit of the law from the letter of the law. And this person, this one, is the ratifier, the consecrator, in accordance with what we read in the law of the Sabbath, the testator of the testaments, both old and new. And this testator, he also died. Look at what he says what he says here in verse 17. And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. You say, what do you mean this testator of the testaments, both old and new, had to die? Well, turn with me now to Hebrews chapter 9. A couple more verses. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. <laughs> Hebrews 9, verse 16. Verse 16. For where there is a testament, remember, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Testator. Very important to understand this. This is kind of like contract law. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all, while the testator lives you know you heard me give the example before you know i might have a last will and testament where i say you know what i'm if i die if if i die all my proceeds are going to go all, all my assets 100 of my assets will go to oliver everything oliver it's just a piece of paper while i'm alive while I'm alive, all it is is just a piece of paper. But the magic happens, you know, and I'm speaking carnally by saying it like that. The magic happens for Oliver when I die. You know, you know, if Liz and I die, I shouldn't say it like I did before. If Liz and I die, everything goes to Oliver. It's just a piece of paper while we're alive. That's all it is. Nothing fancy at all. But the real legal magic, so to speak, 
we have to be dead. I have to die. Otherwise, it's just a piece of paper. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying in verse 16. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. The death of Jesus Christ, very, very important. The death of Jesus Christ activates the promises contained in these testaments, both old and new. And I'm speaking contractually now. The death of Jesus Christ was required in order for the promises to be made true, in order for them to, you know, in order for them to be active in my life, in your life. The question is, is my name, is your name in the will? I'll put it another way. Is your name, is my name in the book of life? I can't say. But I can't echo the words of my beautiful, beautiful brother Paul. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I'll say it a third time. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Is your name in the will or is your name in the book of life? It's, I feel, it's kind of weird because a side of me wants to say like, wow, Lord, this is brilliant what you have done. But then another side of me says, who am I? Who am I to even suggest that, you know, I mean, there's the opposite of brilliant and I don't even want to enter that realm. All I can do is worship him. Lord, there is none like you. There is none like you, Lord. No one is like you. No one can even come close. This is like so magnificent what you have done. Even the death of your only begotten son. It is marvelous, Lord. Then you start to see, you know, when you read not just the law, the letter of the law. Okay, I'm going to do the Sabbath, you know. Saturday is my day of rest and I'm not going to work or, you know, not that I'm a, a Seventh-day Adventist. S Sunday is my day of rest and I'm not going to do any work. And in observance of the law, this is how it's going to be for my home. No, 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 no. It's to understand the spirit of the law and the consecrator of this law and the, the only one who is capable to ratify or confirm this contract and how there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Jesus Christ. You start to see, you know, we've studied Hebrews already. But in light of what we're reading in Exodus 30, it's, or in Exodus 31, it's mind-blowing. This plan that was put in place. It's beautiful. The question is, do I believe in Jesus Christ? 
Do I have faith to remain in Jesus Christ? I got to tell you, you know, it's like I really, really think we're a last day's church. And, you know, you're going to see in the last days, as the Bible explains, people, the ch- when I say the church will take casualties, you'll start to see that people's faith will fail in the last days. And as much as it breaks my heart, like, because I don't, I don't like hearing these things. I don't like hearing this and that and this and that. I, I don't like it. It pains me. But then at the same time, it also excites me. Because I know the bridegroom is coming. I know the bridegroom is coming. And I hope and pray that it's the same for everyone here, to all who believe, and everyone who listens to this message. I pray it's the same. That yes, you know, the church will take casualties in the last days. People will walk away from the faith. People will be defectors of the faith. People will all of a sudden turn to the side of the enemy and thinking they're doing good. But the Bible says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. I meant in 2022, teaching sex education to to kindergartners. Legally, right now, school districts, schools can say, you know, we opt to do sex education or, you know, we're, we opt out of it. We're not going to do it. But by law, all of a sudden they have to do it. Think of what little five-year-olds are going to be hearing and listening to. Ideas that are going to be put in little five-year-old minds. Oh, you know, I like uh, uh, Frozen. And the boy sings the song from Frozen and all of a sudden the school says, oh, maybe you're a girl. Or a girl sings another, like a G.I. Joe song. I don't know what, you know, what a girl sings that song and the teacher in school says, oh, maybe you're a boy. At age five, these ideas being ingrained in a little child's mind. That's why we have to be wise to the times. Filled with the spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. That's why I say I'm not advocating the Sabbath as is written in the law. But I am advocating the sanctifier of this law. The fulfillment of the law. Because he is holy and he is sanctifying his bride. He is consecrating his bride. And it's present tense still to this day. Just as he says in Exodus 31 verse 13. That you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. That's the law of the Sabbath. The law of the Sabbath. And then look what happens here in verse 18. In closing, this is the last verse of the day. In verse 18. And when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. This is the Ten Commandments, two tablets. Remember, the law was given three times. The law was given three times. The first time the law was given was in chapter 20, and it was spoken. In chapter 20, the spoken word, the spoken law. 
and it was rejected by the people. Remember, the people were like, Moses, we want to hear from the Lord. And then all of a sudden it was like, Moses was like, okay, you want to hear from the Lord? Okay. Everybody gather here at this mountain. Everybody gather right here. And the Lord's going to speak. And then all of a sudden the Lord started to speak. People couldn't understand it, but they were terrified. And then all of a sudden they told Moses, Moses, we don't want to hear from God. We don't want to hear from God, Moses. Let the Lord speak with you and you tell us what the Lord says and we will do what you say. They didn't want to hear from the Lord. That was the first time the Lord was given and it was by spoken word. The second time is right here in chapter 31, verse 18. says, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. This is the second time that the law is given. But we're going to see next week, Lord willing, it's a tool of judgment on the people, on God's people. A tool of judgment. The third time, it's going to, in a couple more chapters in the, in the future, probably like within a month, we're going to see that there's a third set of law. It's still the Ten Commandments, but it's the third set. And that is given to the people, except it's a remnant of, for the people. It's not the full population because some of the population dies. They're judged by the Lord. Does any of this sound familiar as New Covenant believers? The word of God being rejected. Just like Exodus 20. And then the word returning, the word in the flesh returning to judge. And then the word being with a remnant. Does any of that sound familiar? What about the word of God rejected by people today? Spoken word. Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God is the spoken word. Still rejected by men. Not, a, not everybody, a large majority, but there's still a remnant of people who believe. But then what about when Jesus Christ returns and you read the prophecies of Revelation and the Bible says he has a sword out of his mouth. He's coming to judge. And then during the millennial reign, the word is with the word is in the flesh, but with the remnant. Very interesting how it's an Old Testament shadow of the things to come. The Old Testament is a shadow of the things to come. Not just, you know, Jesus Christ, his first coming. But Jesus Christ, his second coming. Jesus Christ during the millennial reign. And Jesus Christ in Zion. Very, very, very beautiful. And you know, all these times, you know, we've been in Exodus 25 through 31 for a while now. Maybe a couple months, I don't know exactly, but it's been a while. 40 days and 40 nights, Moses is having intimacy with the Lord. And then all of a sudden, you know, the Lord told, tells him now where we're going to pick up next week in chapter 32. The Lord tells Moses, go back to the people. Moses comes down and sees all this wild, wild sin. Wild, wild sin. What did Jesus Christ see in his earthly ministry? What did Jesus Christ see in the temple? 
What did Jesus Christ see amongst the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes and the elders, the ones who were supposed to, you know, they should have been the ones to say, he is the Messiah. But no, there was a wild man in the desert who ate locusts and was clothed in camel's hair. Who said, this is the son of God. You see, it's the same thing. Nothing new under the sun. The religious establishment were blind to his first coming. And I tell you the truth, the religious establishment will be blind to his second coming. But there are crazy people who eat locusts. There are crazy people who wear camel's hair. Who say, hey, he's coming. He's coming. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All these things written, Old Testament. So we're going to end our study here.